0: Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Tonight's message is one that the devil does not want me to share. As I prepared for this, and even as I had written it down, his voice was the loudest in my head I've ever heard in my life. For day after day, day in and out, day in and day out, saying, give up, quit. You don't know what you're doing. Your message is trash. You're gonna look like an idiot. This is garbage. You don't know what you're talking about. Just give up, quit, go do something else. Don't do not do this. This is, this is junk. You're terrible at this. And so... While there are so many different and awesome topics I could have presented tonight, I am convinced that the ones that are written down here are the ones God wants me to share and the devil does not. So I'm gonna pray for us first and then we're gonna get straight into the core of this message. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. God, I have to give you the praise in the midst of Satan bombarding me and just just bludgeoning me you put the words on this page lord they are not mine they are not mine and so god i pray that you would just get me out of the way and you you'd fill this place with your spirit jesus in your name we command the devil to leave satan if you are here you have no place in this room leave go back to hell where you came from that's where you belong so leave in jesus name and father in your name, I pray that you'd fill each man here with your Holy Spirit. Fill me, Lord, so that we could hear your voice. Your voice, Lord, yours. Help us to hear it now, in Jesus' name, amen. So my aim for tonight, is two parts, that we will grasp the value of our physical existence, and secondly, that each of us will think deeply about the impact that our lives will leave on us. On the world, So the first section of this text is about burial. Genesis 23 and bits and pieces of 25. And the key principle is that God values the physical, and so should we. A common idea amongst biblical scholars is that repetition is often an indicator of importance. In Genesis 23, the author repeats the word bury, in some form or fa- or fashion, eleven times in twenty verses, and so, if repetition indicates importance, we ought to be asking a question, and that question is why? Why is physical burial important to God? Why would He emphasize it so much? Gnosticism is the belief. Gnosticism—it's a hard word to pronounce—is <laughs> the belief that physical things are inherently evil while spiritual things are inherently good. In other words, the only items of true worth or goodness are those which are spiritual. In older Christianity and much of Christianity today, it isn't hard to find these types of concepts baked into church theology and individual theology. You've probably heard it without even maybe recognizing it. One common way that I hear this a lot is many Christians often supposing that praying or reading the Bible are the solutions to any and every need that a person faces. But the reality is that God did not make mankind as only spiritual beings, We are physical people with needs and experiences that go beyond the spiritual. Think about this. For our spiritual needs, God gives us a relationship with him. For relational needs, God said it's not good for man to be alone, so he provided man a woman, companionship. And then for physical needs, God provided us with food, clothes, water, shelter, God is wanting us to see through his word, especially in this text, that our physical bodies and this physical earth matter deeply to him. And how do we know? Let's look at scripture. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created created the heavens and the earth. Back off, devil. This isn't your place. God created the heavens and the earth and the earth. A physical earth is what God created. Genesis 127, that's the devil again. Satan, you could leave in Jesus' name. Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image of God is in a physical being. In Genesis 3:8 it says and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God chose to come to a physical earth and to walk with man. In John 1 it says in the beginning the word was 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 the in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word, get this, became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself chose to live as a physical man on this physical earth. And lastly, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. It doesn't say that we will dwell with God. It says he's gonna dwell with us. God's intention from the beginning was to dwell on a physical earth with his creation in perfect joy and holiness. This was his plan from day one. And when the sin of mankind broke his original plan, he didn't scrap the physical world and only keep the spiritual. No, he chose a group of, of physical humans, and through them he sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh, to fix what was broken so that in due time the evil that is here, that will be burned and dissolved, and the good that he intended from the beginning will be restored and made new right here on earth. Remember, our key principle for this section is that God values the physical and we need to as well. And so the question we're asking based on this text is this. Why is burying our physical bodies after death so important to God? Why would he emphasize this? The first reason that burial matters to God is because it emphasizes that our bodies have worth, our bodies have worth. As we discussed in our lesson tonight, there are two primary methods of managing the human body after death, burial and cremation. Before I get uh, too far into this idea, I do wanna make an important note. While this section is going to highlight the, the, the value of physical burial, I firmly believe that cremated or buried, above anything else, what matters to God is what we each believe in our hearts before we die. The beauty of God's work is that he can and will restore life and fullness to anyone and everyone who believes, regardless of the state of our bodies. So if you have a family member or a friend who's been cremated, please know, I'm not implying or suggesting in any way that cremation will inhibit a person's salvation or their resurrection when Jesus returns. With that being said, historically speaking, Judaism and Christianity have always placed a very high value on burial over cremation. And so the question is why? Psalm 139 says, for, I, for, you, were for, for, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I love that picture. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully Made, fearfully and wonderfully made. We believe that every single person is fearfully and wonderfully made, uniquely designed by God himself, our spirits, our minds, and our bodies. The physical bodies that we have received are paintings for which God chose the colors, the highlights, the lowlights, and God himself completed the brush strokes for every single person. The body that you're living in, he painted you. He painted you. The burial of the physical body honors the love and attention that God put into creating each and every person. When you think about embalming and burial over the centuries and in the time of Jesus, the caretaker of the body would spend hours cleaning it, preparing it, covering it in balms and spices and then intentionally wrapping it in burial linens The time and attention which accompanies burial tangibly implies that the body is not something to be discarded, but is something to be valued and even protected. The second reason that burial matters to God is because it allows us to effectively remember and mourn the loss of the individual. As I was preparing for this, I read a commentator who in talking with a friend, uh, he told his friend, I'm I'm really sorry for your loss. And his friend looked at him and responded and said, you haven't lost something if you know exactly where it is. (laughs) And I love that response because it's something that is uniquely Christian that we can truly believe and know that the person that we love is still very much alive and dwelling in the presence of Jesus. But the one risk in that statement that stood out to me is that it may allow the grieving person to ignore the fact that someone is now genuinely missing from their life right now on this earth. I remember when my great-grandmother died, Martha Stevenson Graham, Mimi. She was born on March 23, 1913, She and I share a birthday, March 23rd. And she was 103 years old when she died, 103. Mimi was an incredible woman of faith. And for her, like that guy talking about who he lost, we celebrated that day. We did, because there wasn't a person in that church who didn't believe 100% Mimi's partying with Jesus today. And that was cool. But here was the other reality As I stood before her open casket, I I did cry, because saying goodbye to Mimi was recognizing that Christmas and Thanksgiving and other times with the family were going to be different. My life was, in fact, going to be different Then not just me. My mom's spiritual mentor, the woman she looked up to the absolute most, who when she was going through the darkest depression of her life, Mimi, Mimi was... Mimi was the one who was there who sent her verses that she'd stick to the window and those carried my mom through that and Mimi wasn't going to be here anymore for my mom and for my great uncle who never got married and committed his entire adult life to caring for Mimi. He he wasn't going to have his mom and his friend with him there anymore. Burial is a slow enough process that when we allow ourselves to feel it, It gives us time to mourn and to say goodbye. We see Abraham do this here with Sarah. We watch Isaac and Ishmael do it with Abraham. And a little bit later on, we'll watch the whole nation of Israel do this when Moses, their leader, dies. They knew something was missing and they needed to take time to think about it. Burial is meant to slow down life for a time so that we can remember the life of the person parting ways with the things we loved and that we will miss about them. And this is an important one. In some way, expressing and saying goodbye to the hurts that they may have caused us. Burial allows us to mourn both the good and the broken, providing closure to both, and that's important. The third reason that burial matters to God is because it helps us embrace the reality of our own eventual death. When I worked at Packmore, we had an older gentleman working on working out on our lines, and one day his heart just stopped. There was no foul play, there was no accidents, there was no drugs. It was simply his time for the Lord to bring him home. And so we picked him up off the floor. We took him to a safe place and we performed CPR on him until the EMTs arrived. And in that moment, I saw the reality of death face-to-face. But in those moments, it is not the same as a funeral. If you've experienced a scenario like this in your own life, you realize that you're struck with the tragedy, but your emergency response kicked in fight, flight, or freeze, and because of how God designed us, your mind is not able to contemplate what's happening or how it might relate to you personally. You're simply responding to the tragedy that's happening. And that is why the process of burial is important. Because not only does it allow you to slow down and to grieve and to mourn, It forces you, if you allow it, to internalize some very important questions. When will my life end? Who will be around me when I die? And what will be said about who I was and how I lived? We all will face death. And by emphasizing the importance of burial here in Genesis 23, God is compelling us, each of us, before it's too late to ask the serious questions especially, where will I spend eternity and how confident am I that I'll be where I hope to be? The fourth reason that burial matters to God is because it demonstrates our belief that our bodies have a purpose and a future. Beyond the symbolic and sentimental side of this practice, there is a, there is a practical side as Christians, we bury the bodies of our dead rather than burning them because we believe they aren't finished being used yet. Just as Christ was crucified, buried, and physically rose from the grave, we stand on the belief that, that we too will experience the same. When Jesus was raised from the dead, God did not dissolve his old body and make him a whole new one. In the same way that God plans to restore the physical earth, he resurrected Jesus' physical body and made it holy, perfect, and imperishable. And we're banking on the fact that God is going to do the same work in our physical bodies so that we can spend eternity with him on a resurrected and restored earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, I love this. It says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. Come on, burial is the moment where we, as Christians, demonstrate our belief that one day the grave will no longer hold us. Come on, yes, amen, amen. And so the question I want to ask is, how much value are you assigning to the fact If you're a Christian, that your eternity will be spent in a restored physical body on a restored physical earth. How much are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about cherubs and harps and clouds and all that? That's not what the Bible says is going to happen Jesus is saying, I care about the physical. I want you to bury the body because the body matters. The earth matters, and I want you thinking about it. When a person dies, I want you thinking about it. It's coming back here. I'm raising your body up, and I'm going to put the imperishable on the imperishable, and we're going to live in it here forever. That's what God wants you to think about. So the question is, how much? How much are you actually thinking about that? All right, I'm going to shift gears. As I talked about a few minutes ago, when a person is faced with death, he will naturally be pressed to ask existential questions of himself. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Where will I go when I die? And this, what will be the impact of my life when I'm gone? The last question, that last question is where we're gonna spend the remaining portion of our time tonight. As we see the lives of Sarah and Abraham come to an end, the question is, what are the ripples or waves that their lives left behind? What are they? Some people call this concept a person's legacy. So legacy is what we're gonna talk about. Genesis 23 and 25 both talk about it, and the key principle is the way we live affects our family and affects the world. Now, before I jump into this idea of legacy, I've got something for you. I want to show you guys a three minute video. This video shows the real burial property of the cave of Machpelah. I'm going to butcher that word that we read about in Genesis 23. And it describes some of the, the video describes some of the socio political dynamics which are birthed out of or are maturing right here in this text that we're studying tonight. It's really cool. And so David, can
1: you cue that up for us? The compound behind me is located in the heart of the Judean mountains, south of Jerusalem. And it is one of the most sacred places for Western monotheistic religions. No, we are not in Jerusalem. We are about 40 kilometers south of it. Welcome to the Tomb of the Patriarchs. The first mention of this site is in the book of Genesis in chapter 23, the times of Abram and Sarah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, but she died at Kiryat Arba, that is, Hebron. Abram then buys a burial plot outside the city, and after completing the purchase, Abram buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is Etrevon. Here the sign is indicating that this is the tomb mark of Sarah. Her physical remains is probably beneath us on a lower level. And the book of Genesis records that later, Abram, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and their wives were also buried in this burial plot. The only exception would be Rachel, Jacob's second and favorite wife who died at childbirth and so is buried at Rachel's tomb some 20 kilometers north of here. This is the earliest event in the Bible of explaining why Hebron is so significant. And centuries later, David, when taking the throne, will also establish his capital here in Hebron before moving to Jerusalem. On the turn of the first century, a big esplanade will be built above the whole site, probably by King Herod. And the site will become a focal point, a place of veneration for the Jews at the time. The site changed hands several times in the Middle Ages, and after the Crusaders were expelled, it will remain under Muslim control for several centuries. In fact, here you can see the Ottoman Crescent from Turkish times. Until 1967, Jews were rarely allowed to visit the area of the site. They weren't allowed to even to go in. They couldn't go beyond the seventh step leading into the entrance. But as a result of the Six-Day War 1967, among others, the Tomb of the Patriarchs will be under Israeli sovereignty. And now the site is open for people of all faiths welcoming them to come and worship and pray at this very special holy site Less visited and less known are the rich remains of Canaanite and Israelite city of Hebron set on a hill above the patriarchal tomb complex It's important to understand that the burial cave is not in the city of Hebron in Canaanite times it is a mile away from the city itself These are the chan- tangible remains of the canaanite city and that means that abraham probably walked right here to enter the city gate around the corner seeking for ephron the owner of the property that he wished to buy for a burial plot
0: i guess that's all we got there's a little more left there but you got the gist of it all right guys i don't believe that it's coincidental that in the same time that we're studying this text we're watching conflict unfold in the land of Canaan. I don't think that's a coincidence. This video of the cave and the news today paint a clear picture of some of the good and much of the bad parts of Abraham and Sarah's legacy. So what do Genesis 23 and 25 push us to see as it relates to their legacy? The first is a legacy of God's promise. In Genesis 17, it says, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I love that video of the cave of Machpelah because regardless of whether you're Jewish Or Christian or Muslim, all three of these world religions, two of which are the largest in the world, all agree that God made promises to Abraham and then carried them out. God changes the name of Abraham's name and tells him, you're not just going to be the father of one nation. You're going to be the father of multitudes of nations. And here we are today reading the chapters of God's word these chapters and witnessing this conflict that he talks about, which proves that this promise is true. Two groups of people, the Jews and the Muslims, Isaac and Ishmael, fighting over what? The inheritance and blessings of their father. When you look at Abraham's story, what should stand out most is not Abraham, but rather what should stand out is God's faithfulness to his own promises. What promises have we seen fulfilled? I'm going to expand on just one, just one, to give you a snapshot. Genesis 12, verse 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor, or, or I, him who dishonors you, I will curse in chapter 12, Pharaoh takes Sarai as his wife and God pours plagues upon Sarah, uh, upon Pharaoh and his house. I will curse those who curse you. In chapter 20, Abimelech takes Sarai as his wife and God closes the wombs of every woman in his household. I will curse those who curse you. In chapter 24, Abraham's servant diligently honors his master, giving his absolute best to find a wife for Isaac. And at the very first well, with the very first woman, God brings that servant the wife he was praying for and trying to find. I will bless those who bless you. And in modern times, more modern times, think about World War II. Adolf Hitler made it his personal vendetta to exterminate the Jews, the people of Abraham. And what happened? God woke up the nations of the world and in a rare display of unity, they came together and annihilated Hitler and the Nazi regime. I will curse those who curse you. In Genesis 25, eight through 10, it says Abraham breathes his last and died in a good old age an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people and then this is the key thing here Isaac and Ishmael his sons his two sons buried him in the cave of Machpelah though the conflict between those two boys the nations of Isaac and Ishmael was real and it's still going on today the fulfilled promises of God to make multitudes of nations and kings through Abraham are undeniable. Look at it here, look at it there. Even the nations themselves, as they fight over these very promises, believe that those promises are real. They believe it, that's why they're fighting. The legacy of Abraham is a legacy of God and, his, and the fulfillment of his promises. That's Abraham's first legacy. The second legacy that we see is a legacy of faith and brokenness. Most of us who have been to many funerals have experienced this awkward tension that often occurs during this service. As you sit and listen to a pastor or or family members talk about the person who's died, there's often one topic that is somewhat glaringly missing And it is the other half of the story. Now, we all can agree that the purpose of a funeral, the objective of the service is to honor the dead, showing them respect and highlighting the best in them. That's good and that is admirable. But the reality of their legacy is that it isn't all good. There are Hopefully many positive ripples left over from the pres- their presence on earth, but the question is, do those good moments shine bright when they're scrubbed of the bad ones, or would the light be brighter if it was contrasted to the dark? I, think, I started thinking about my, my own funeral as I wrote this message and started thinking about, well, maybe, maybe what, what might I hope would be said and this changed what I would hope would be said, and, I was, and, and maybe it would sound like this from my wife. When Kyle and I first got married, there was no doubt that he loved me, but he had a lot wrong. He was anal about stupid things, he was impatient, he got angry easily, he was unaware of his impact on me, and he chose his family often over me. And everyone in the funeral home is like, oh boy, where is this going? This is not going a good direction, but she doesn't stop talking there. Here's what she says, but he didn't stay there. Week after week, year after year, he let God change him. He learned to take feedback. He let go of the things that he wanted to control, and he started choosing me first. The dark side of who I've been highlights even brighter the goodness that God has produced in me. The true reality of Abraham's legacy is that it is mixed with faith and brokenness. Walking through all these chapters that we've studied together in the life of Abraham and played out today, we've watched both, sleeping with Hagar, lying to Pharaoh and Abimelech, showing little care for the, for the well-being of the people around him. But, on the flip side, he left his homeland in faith. He prayed to God. He made sacrifices to God. And he loved both of his sons dearly. Even when God called him to give both of them up, he called him to give up both of them. I believe that as we hear this message, God is giving us a simple prompt, and it's this. Change your expectations. Abraham is the guy, the earthly earthly father through which God committed to build his kingdom. And God is showing us week after week that we, as followers of God, we will fail a lot. God will grow our faith. And despite our failures, when we have faith, God will use us and bless us. The legacy that will matter and make the world better is the one that God writes for your life. The legacy that gives God the most glory is the one of faith and brokenness. And that is Abraham's legacy. So the question is, as of today, who is your legacy focused upon? And what needs to change so that the story of your life will highlight God's goodness through both your faith and your failures. In conclusion, these chapters are the end of the story of the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And so I believe that God is calling each of us to some simple but important reflection. What do I really believe happens to me and to this body that God created when I die? And What will be the theme that characterizes the impact I leave behind when this stage of my eternal life comes to an end? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is your word. You picked every single word that you would put in the Bible, every and, every of, every but, every berry, every death, Lord, you chose it. And so you want us to learn from it and god i pray that we would lord help us to reflect help us to slow down help us to think about our life and our death and what are we living for where are we going what is eternity really like lord let us not just gloss over this life god help us to be serious and thinking about what are you asking me to think about god what do you want me to consider tonight lord so i pray that Each man would leave here feeling contemplative, asking, what's the question I need to ask myself? Why am I here? Where am I gonna go when I die? And what's my legacy gonna be? Lord, we love you. Help us to be the men you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.